once again to be here. Good to see these familiar faces, and uh, some I haven't seen so many times. Uh, greetings from Logan, and uh, experiencing a little bit of growth up there, which has been very encouraging here lately. And, and it seemed like nothing was going on for three years or so. And uh, uh, but we have some people coming in, and a Mormon couple saved, and they're going to be baptized uh, in the river. So it's public, and they're having relatives come down from Idaho, I believe, in the Idaho Falls area, and uh, that's exciting. They have several students also coming in. Uh, now that college is back in, the university once again has opened up, and uh, so it's been exciting to see some new faces and see the chairs filled up a little bit more, and the auditorium filled up a little bit more. So I'm being prayerful. Uh, uh, Charity asked about Mrs. Vaughn, and there's been no change as far as I know. Um, they've been in, uh, out, well, Mississippi for about a month, her and the kids, and her dad is dying, and so she went down there just to be with her mom and spend some of his last days, uh, with, um, well, with him, with him in his last days. Uh, he's hanging on, but um, he's got a liver disease, I believe, and a number of problems, and um, it doesn't look like it's going to be all that long. So anyway, be in prayer for the family, if you would. And Pastor Vaughn's going to be flying down on Tuesday. you got to work on the van so they can get home. And uh, so, you know, be in prayer for them, journey mercies and so on. But anyway, well, greetings from, from Logan. And... Uh, it's, it's exciting to see that. We, uh, <clears throat> boy, it's been a busy summer. I, I've been working for a month and a half for my son. He's trying to move to Montana. And he's got a house he's right in the middle of. And uh, so, hard to find help over Bear Lake. So guess who he called? <laughs> so I've been over pouring concrete and framing and and uh, I'm just now getting in shape, I think. It's <laughs> taken a while. And uh, kind of get back to where I'm not completely wiped out after a day's work. But uh, anyway, I am getting a little bit old for that kind of work, I think. All right. Um, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And the message really could be. There be several messages, I'm sure. I've, I've preached two at our church out of chapter three. I'm, I'm trying to trying to do, uh, even though I don't preach often up there, I'm trying to just do an expository thing. And um, uh, and I started in Genesis one, of course. I mean that's proper. And, and uh, did a chapter three. I was actually thought I was going to preach this morning. Pastor Vaughn and I got our dates mixed up, and so he walked in, and I was surprised. All the ready to go, you know, and he, he walks in, and oh well, and uh, so uh, this will be the first time of this message, so hope it comes out okay. Never know, you know. <laughs> Let's have prayer, and then we'll begin. Our Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to serve thee, Lord, to be saved. What a, as I think about the masses and in the world today, uh, 
fact that that um, we're saved, those of us who are saved, what a marvel that is. And Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness uh, in saving us. And Father, we do pray too for the masses that are not saved. We pray for their souls. Lord, that you would awaken them and, and speak to their hearts and help them to respond to thee as they ought in faith and trust in the finished work of Christ that they too might be saved. Our Heavenly Father, we pray tonight that as we look through uh, Genesis 3 a little bit, we pray that you would uh, bless the message, that you would uh, help it to be applicable to each and every one in some way or another. We pray that we might all learn something. And our Lord, I pray for preaching grace, and we do ask, Lord, that, that uh, the message would be uh, relevant. And our Father, we thank you for, again, what you're going to do uh, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, Genesis 3, I want to, uh, that's all right, I want to read the whole chapter, and uh, we'll comment basically on the first uh, six verses or so, and uh, then I want to look more at uh, the rest of the book, or the rest of the chapter. So in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know, in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them, of them both, were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Well, that, that's, that hasn't ever changed, has it? The woman, you know, that thou gave me. I will come back to that. <laughs> <laughs> and the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above 
every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I'll greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. And sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also unto his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, a man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent forth uh, from the garden of Eden, sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Obviously, this chapter is a very pivotal chapter, is it not? I mean, very pivotal. Um, we find that uh, paradise lost here, if you would, uh, in chapter 3. There's a couple things I want to mention before we get to the message here. And of course, it, it has to do with the, the serpent or the devil. I believe that Satan used a snake or some other reptile to uh, approach Eve and speak to her. Now, people may wonder, um, why didn't Eve run? Now, my wife would have, I mean, there had just been a dust cloud had a serpent approached her. And, uh, but uh, we wonder why, you know, why did, why, why did she seem to feel comfortable talking to a serpent? Well, a couple things. Number one, she was innocent and innocence then. Uh, there was no death yet and uh, very, she was very new. I didn't know really, maybe she thought all the animals talked. Uh, we don't know. We don't know how long it was between the time of of a creation and the time of the fall. We're not really told that. Some think it was just hours, some days, or just weeks, or just a very short time. We really are not told that. We do not know. But the fact is that she listened and had a conversation uh, with the serpent, the serpent, or the devil using the serpent. Um, uh, more subtle. By the way, the word subtle is only used three times in the entire Bible. And we know that Jonadab was more subtle. Remember Jonadab who uh, told Ammon what to do with his half-sister. And, um, and then there's a, another place, but only three times, that speaks of craft. In other words, it's used in a negative way in the Bible. 
we find a question concerning uh, what God had actually told them. And, uh, you know, you can put some inflection in your voice and it would sound different. You could, you could ask that question sneeringly. Uh, yeah, as God said, you know, you can't, you can eat of every tree of the garden. I mean, like God's a big meaning. Or it could just be a very innocent sounding question. Uh, you know, what about the trees of the garden? Can you eat all of them? But uh, we realize in one way or another that this is the introduction to the temptation of, of Eve. Now, Eve, um, in her answer, we understand that God uh, told them in chapter 2 uh, and verse 17. Well, let me see. In verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now I'm sure that this crowd knows all about this, but we know that Eve left out some words, she added some words, and then diminished really the penalty uh, in her answer. And uh, God said, you can eat freely of every tree thou mayest freely eat. And she said, well, we can eat of the trees of the garden. It kind of diminished the graciousness of God's uh, permission concerning the, the vast, the, obviously the vast majority of the trees, the garden. And then she says, thou touch it. That's what she said. God said nothing about touching the the fruit of the tree. And then she said, lest ye die. And God had said, thou shalt surely die. And so really there's a problem there with the command of God. She did not get it right. By the way, it's important that we get the word of God right, isn't it? It's important that we get the word of God right. And so she, she took away from the word of God, which put really the command in a different light. Uh, she added to the word of God, which also put the command in a different light. And then she diminished the, uh, the from thou shalt surely die to lest ye die. And that's just not quite as powerful, is it? And so we find that, um, we find that she succumbed here when Satan said thou, thou shalt not surely die. She succumbed to that, took of the fruit and gave to her husband and they fell. So that brings us to verse seven and that's where I wanted to start here. And I wanna look at the consequences of Adam and Eve's choice. And of course we could, there's a great deal that could be said about this. And uh, so let's try to get started here. The aftermath of Eve's decision. Now in Genesis 1, seven, we see some immediate consequences and number one, their eyes, it says, were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they uh, tied to aprons made of fig leaves to hide their guilt and their shame. They recognized the guilt and the shame of what just happened. The eyes were opened to the fact that the serpent had deceived them. They had disobeyed God. They had incurred the displeasure of their creator, their sustainer, and the lover of their souls. They had brought ruin and destruction to themselves and to their posterity. And so they sought to cover up somehow. And man is good at that, trying to cover up somehow 
and make excuses. Now, we find that they knew that they were naked. We find that man, uh, for the first time, was self-conscious. Uh, it's interesting. I, I looked up the words self-conscious and actually got to look in one of those big Webster dictionaries, you know, the complete one, the unabridged Webster's dictionary. The, the words that start with the word self appear, a thousand, there's a thousand different, over a thousand different words that start with the word self. Isn't that interesting? And we have so much trouble with self, don't we? Now, we understand that there are words that have nothing to do with man, such as self-loading, like as in a semi-automatic rifle or pistol, uh, have nothing to do with man. And there are also some good ways that the word self is used, such as a self-motivation or a self-starter. But, but over and over, we find negative uh, when we think about this thing of self self-will and self-serving and self-righteous and self-pity and so we find that man we find here uh, that man has become self-conscious and self-centered we, we, we see that they tied thick leaf aprons to cover themselves and really represents man's efforts uh, to hide his guilt and shame but it doesn't do the job by the way, an apron still left them half naked, didn't it? Uh, man's best efforts still fall short. And those who think by their good deeds or their religion or uh, their faithfulness or their church or whatever, if they're depending on that for salvation, folks, they're just fig leaves that they've tied around themselves. There's nothing wrong with those things, but they do not save. Only Christ saves. Faith in Jesus Christ saves and that alone. And then they hid themselves. It's interesting that Adam, who named all of the animals, and by the way, back in chapter 2, um, and it says in verse 19, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. I think Adam had to be a pretty intelligent guy uh, to name all of the creatures. There had to be thousands of them. And yet we find that he thought he could hide from God. Wow. Well, he certainly could not hide from the the omnipresent and uh, all-knowing God. We know the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. In Jeremiah chapter 23, God said, Do not I fill the whole earth? No one can hide from me. And then in verse 10, we find that Adam says that I was afraid. Fear. Apparently fear of retribution. Uh, fearing, facing God, who is infinitely just and powerful, and to whom that all of us are accountable. Um, fearing the one whose love and benefits and care have been rejected in the eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then we find blame shifting. Wow. Adam blamed Eve and indirectly God. You say, well, let's read that again. Um, and uh, it says and the man said this is verse 12 of chapter 3 
the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. So we find that he blames his wife, but indirectly also blames God. Lord, you gave her to me. You know, she was, she was your idea, and uh, she uh, gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And then, of course, the woman blamed the serpent. The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Well, it's so much like man, is it not? Refusing to take responsibility for their failings and their sin. By the way, we've been taught by modern-day psychology, psychology that everybody's a victim, you know. Uh, what you do wrong is someone else's fault, you know. It's not. And, and uh, we understand that some people are victims. We understand that. We understand there's tragedies. And we understand that not everyone has a Christian upbringing and so on. But uh, they teach, and so many people believe that they are uh, victims. Let me say this. You, you may have been a victim, but you don't have to stay a victim. Uh, those, those with a victim mentality will always have an excuse for failure. Isn't that right? If you have a victim mentality, you'll always have an excuse for failure. We don't have to stay a victim, even if we have been one. We can grow in grace and we can get past all of that. Get past the blame game and take personal responsibility for sin, for failures, and, and even the need to forgive. And sometimes that's a problem. We don't forgive those who have hurt us. Yield ourselves to God. Hide his word in our heart. Well, they did not do that and they're a mess right now. Is there a question as we think about the fall of Adam and Eve, uh, about the enormity of sin and the awfulness of sin. And by the way, in our day and time, it's very evident that there's not a whole lot of consciousness concerning the awfulness uh, of sin and the enormity of the thing of sin. Uh, very little. It seems we live in a, a society now that's just like a free-for-all and, and uh, there's very little conviction as a result of that of uh, sin. Well, let's look at this. Is there any question today about the enormity of sin? Well, righteousness was lost. Adam and Eve were created without sin. And before this event, Genesis chapter 3, there was a world without sin. Uh, man has not been touched by sin prior to Genesis chapter 3. It was a perfect environment. God said he looked on everything after six days and saw that it was very good. Eve was a perfect wife and Adam was a perfect husband. They met with God. There was no sin. There was a perfect relationship between them. Uh, but righteousness here was lost. Uh, sin entered into the world. As by one man sin entered in the world uh, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. We find also paradise lost. The living now would be made by the sweat of Adam's uh, face. Uh, as he dealt with a reluctant earth, as he dealt with thorns and thistles, like it says here, weeds and all of that kind of thing. And then after the flood, 
of bad weather, drought, and famine, and flooding, and ruin, insect invasions, and war with all its destruction, uh, paradise was lost uh, in the fall of Adam and Eve. Their posterity was also affected. Uh, we find in Romans 12, 5, 12, once again, is by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. We know that Adam and Eve died that day. They did not die physically. Adam lived to be 930 years old, but uh, they died spiritually that day. And so when they reproduced, the result was one just like them. After their own kind, sinners begat sinners. After their own kind, the fallen nature is passed on to the children. And that's why the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. It's inherited. It's in. And then sighed. I'm not sure if I've ever shared a message um, about the likeness of sin to leprosy here. I'm not sure if I have. It's been a long time ago. But there's really some parallels there uh, with sin and leprosy found, by the way, in, in uh, let me see, it's Leviticus chapter 13. If you read it and you're familiar with it, you know what I'm talking about. But we understand that leprosy was a dreaded disease in, in Bible times and probably still is today if, if, if there even is the same kind of leprosy. Um, and we understand that it was incurable by man. We understand that those who were lepers had to, uh, they were banished from the community. Uh, they had to live outside. They, the families had to feed them. And, uh, and by the way, there could be no contact. It was hideous in what it did to the body and what it does to the body. It eats away at the ears, the nose, the lips, the fingers, and so on. And they wrapped themselves with, with uh, rags and so on to hide the hideous effects of leprosy. It was an awful thing. If you look at Leviticus chapter 13, you'll see some parallels. And I, wanna, I want to just read a few of these for you or give them to you. A sin like leprosy is more than skin deep. It affects every part of us. It is sin in the very nature of all that come into this life. All that is born of man and woman. All descendants of Adam we find have a nature that's embedded in us. We call it the sin nature. We call it old Adam or something like that. We know that secondly, that sin like leprosy continues to erupt. We in human energy cannot control it. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5, uh, we see it's knowing good and evil. He should be as God's knowing good and evil. Uh, and I believe the primary meaning there is as God's, you'll be able to determine for yourself what's good for you and what's not good for you. And we've all heard that, I think, from uh, maybe rebellious uh, individuals. But, uh, but there's also another a way to look at that. When uh, Satan said here in verse 5, he shall be as God's knowing good and evil. And there's an element of truth in that, but there's a little twist in it as well. In other words, um, um, 
You'll know good without the power to do it. And you'll know evil without the power to avoid it. Well, there's an element of truth, and that's true because of the sin nature that is in you and I. Um, without God, we'd all be a bunch of reprobates. <laughs> without feeling, without sensing God, having nothing to do with Him, His way for us, His word, or anything else. Thirdly, sin, like leprosy, makes a person utterly unclean. Now, the priest in the Old Testament, if someone had a boil or something, then he would examine them, and uh, if he saw that it was leprosy, he would pronounce them utterly unclean. Well, you don't have to spend a whole lot of time in Romans chapter 1 to realize how utterly unclean a person can, can be and, and what a sin can lead to. You read Romans chapter 1, man, uh, that, that describes what we might call a wild man. I mean, someone that's really out of it. Um, Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 really describe three different groups of individuals. But Romans chapter 1, um, we find these that uh, had, uh, verse 21, they knew God, they glorified not him as God, Lord, I glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Boy, that is really a downfall, is it not? When they knew God, it starts, and then notice here at the end of what we've read, they're worshiping birds and uh, idols of wood and stone and that kind of thing. And it says here that they worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. And God gave them up to vile affections. And for, talks about homosexuality and all that kind of thing. By the way, we could add transgenderism. We could, all, we could add all kinds of stuff to that, couldn't we? I mean, this is a wild bunch down here. Backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable and merciful. Wow, that's, that's where sin can lead to in any one of us, folks. We all have the nature. We all have the nature by the grace of God. There go I. In chapter 2, it talks about what some called a Gentile moralizer. In other words, here's a Gentile, didn't have the word of God, but, but uh, has some kind of a code of ethics or maybe a religious code that they're trying to keep. And it says, you know something? You condemn others according to your code, but you turn around and do the same thing. And then in verse 17 of chapter 2, talks about the Jew at every advantage. They had the word of God and they were the chosen of God. And it says that they, they preach that, you know, you shouldn't do this, that, but they too would do the very thing that they preached against. We're all, man, we're a mess. You know, in our nature, in our sin nature, we're a mess. Thank God. Thank God for salvation. Thank God that he makes us alive spiritually. And thank God the Spirit of God comes to live within you and I. Otherwise, we'd be reprobate 
message just like these in Romans. Why? Well, um, Romans, well, I'm not going to go on with that. The awful effects of sin, utterly unclean. By the way, we talked, uh, well, let me give you three things here. The awful effects of this sin. It caused the entire human race to fall. And by the way, understand, we're about 6,000 years into it right now. We've got another 1,000 years to go if the Lord should come today. Um, or 1,007 years maybe. So Adam and Eve's sin led to 7,000 years of sin. My goodness, utterly unclean, utterly unclean. As we think about this, it's caused millions to be cast into hell for all eternity. And it caused the Son of God to have to become a man and die on the cross and giving himself a sacrifice for our sin to save us. I'm telling you, sin is utterly unclean. It's no laughing matter. We should never minimize sin. And then next, sin like leprosy is vile and humiliating. You know, you think about man's inhumanity to man. You think about wars. You think about uh, genocide. You think about torture. I, I've read a lot of a lot of history, especially 20th century history, and especially probably World War II and, and Korean Vietnam. And, and we think of man's inhumanity to man. I remember I was talking, I was talking to my dad about uh, the Malmedy massacre and the Battle of the Bulls, where uh, I forget how many Americans now were around where they were prisoners of war and they just machine gunned them down. And his, his uncle, who was in Patton's Third Army, says, well, we did the same thing. We did he says, man, we couldn't shot. We, we were on the move. We're, he says, we couldn't take care of prisoners, and so we just shot them. Uh, they weren't like that before they went to war. They would never have done that before they went to war. All can make animals out of people. Think of the torture and the things that um, I was talking to someone today. We have a Filipino family coming to our church right now, and, and I asked them, and they're just not that long ago been in the Philippines, and I said, do the, the Filipinos, they have anything against the Japanese yet today for the atrocities and so on that were uh, put upon them? He said, well, no, they've actually helped us a lot and, and everything, uh, but in China's not that way. In, in China, a missionary friend, uh, in, he was in Hong Kong, told me that every year uh, they, they play the rape of Nan King on the TV just to remind them of what was done to them uh, in World War II. Uh, it's awful. It, it's awful. Uh, I've seen, you know, pictures of the firing squads and the gas chambers and Germany and Poland and so on. And Oh, my goodness. You think, how could that happen? Well, sin is vile and humiliating. Um, you think about things done in secret, Ephesians chapter 5, and 
uh, 11 and 12 talks about it's a, the shame of the things done in secret. We're not even going to deal with that tonight, but that's vile and humiliating. Some of the things done in secret. I think of that, uh, the rape of children and that kind of thing. That, that's sick. That's sick. And how about the rest home? I'm sure you've been in a rest home before. And you walk through there and you, you hear, hear people just talking. They're just completely out of their mind. Now you see them sitting in a wheelchair and they've got a, a bag of urine down under, hanging down underneath. They can't control their body. They can't control their mind. And you realize these were, these were once probably very productive people. But you'd never know it now. Sin. It's a, not necessarily their personal sin, but sin as a principle, uh, sin nature, mm -hmm. the fall of Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. There is vile, uh, vile and humiliating. Sin like leprosy requires separation. Right? We said before that the leper had to go out into colonies where other lepers were. They were not allowed in the cities or around other people. If someone approached them, uh, they would have to cover their mouth and say, unclean, unclean, you know, get away from me, don't get near me. That was something they had to do. Require separation. And without God's provision for forgiveness and salvation, uh, separation from God was all that you and I would have to look forward to. It requires separation. And then sin like leprosy is incurable by man. We can recognize it, but we cannot cure it. Only God, and only what Christ has done for you and I, can cure the thing of sin. It's only God. It's only God. It's not you and I. And by the way, what an example we have of that in chapter 4. We find that Cain and Abel came with an offering, didn't they? And God accepted Abel's offering, and he rejected Cain's offering. And Cain says, well, I'll just kill my brother. I don't know whether he thought he was going to lose his position, maybe as the firstborn, or, or just jealous, or just angry, or he became bitter. We don't know really exactly what went through his mind, but he rose up and he slew his brother Abel. Very next chapter. The very next generation, is there any question at all about the enormity of sin and the awfulness of sin? Well, then, lastly, I know this is a real positive message, which is not what I'd rather preach, by the way. Uh, I like applying the, the oil, you know, uh, the healing balm. This is how the Lord directed. Um, all sin has its consequences. You notice in Genesis 3 that God addressed each, each of the uh, individuals here. He addressed the actual physical serpent in uh, verse 14. And then in, in verse 15, we find the first prophecy, by the way, in the Bible, which promises a redeemer. And uh, the seed of the woman of bruised serpent's head, but uh, we understand that look at that's looking at Satan as well. And then, then he addresses the woman, and then he addresses Adam himself. So the serpent, 
physically Satan, Eve, and then Adam. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what good you may have done in the past or what good you may be doing right now. Sin has its consequences. And that's so clear in the fall of Adam and Eve. By the way, they didn't have to eat a bushel of the forbidden fruit. They didn't have to eat a bushel of fruit. They didn't chop down all the good trees and just leave the bad tree so they'd have an excuse for eating of it. I believe they fell the first bite they took. The first bite they took. It doesn't have to be big sin to be a problem. Proverbs 24 9 says the thought of foolishness is sin. Now obviously without Christ the consequence is the lake of fire. But in the Christian life, and I realize I'm speaking mostly to Christians here, if not all, there are also consequences for sin. Now um, I want to say uh, that, that uh, we don't lose salvation. Uh, that I believe we're in Christ we, we are complete in Christ and I believe that the Father sees us in his Son uh, as, as, as perfect and Jesus Christ having lived the life we could never live and paid the penalty that we could never pay without going to hell completely saved but there are consequences yet for sin in James chapter 1 I'm sure you're familiar with this but it says this let no man say in verse 13, when he's tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, this is written as a general letter, but uh, as general, but uh, in fact, it's called one of the general epistles. But he is writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. He's writing to believing Jews. Um, there are also, so he's writing to believers here. Now, again, we don't lose salvation when we sin, but sin still has consequences. Sin, when it is finished, bringing forth death. Now, for the believer, once again, we are secure in Christ. But it can be death in the sense of destroying some part of our life here and now. For instance, adultery usually brings about the death of a marriage. It can bring about the death of a family. And I'm not talking about physical death. We're just talking about the destruction marriage or family and by the way let me just say this just a little side note I remember um, I was uh, listening to a preacher who was also a counselor and he, he said this he said he said man he's warning against pornography and he said that most Christian women view pornography just about the same as they would adultery that's pretty serious that's pretty serious There can be the death of a Christian testimony. Romans chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. Now let me, let 
let me just uh, read this. I think this is it's speaking to the Jew, but the principle applies. The principle applies. Um, chapter 2 of Romans, verse 23. Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God. For the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles through you. Wow, that's, that's something, isn't it? Let me read you something that's kind of a, uh, we might chuckle at it, but in the book of Ecclesiastes, and, and chapter 10, and verse 1, and um, some jokingly say this is so-and-so's life verse. Well, you'll probably chuckle too when you hear the verse. Uh, it says, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary, or perfume, uh, to send forth a stinking savor. And so doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. It can be the death of a Christian testimony. It can be the death, at least temporarily, of a closeness and a walk with God. On the national level, it can be the death of a nation. And sometimes I wonder how close we're to that. It can be the death of a church. And there's more than one church that have had to close the doors because of some sin in the church. Maybe that's not dealt with correctly or, or whatever the case may be. I, I don't know. Sometimes in a small town, it seems like they never get above the reputation that some clown gave it. The death of our usefulness to God. Not losing salvation. And certainly we can be forgiven and can be restored. But sometimes the effects go on for a lifetime. For a lifetime. There are consequences to sin that affects our life for maybe years or the rest of our life. That's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? <coughs> Adam and Eve's sin affected 7,000 years of the future. 7,000 years. 6,000 years have gone by now. We have at least a millennium to go. Now we'll be there, but there's also going to be with people born in the millennium that will still have that sin nature. 7,000 years. Wow, that's amazing. The awfulness, the terrible consequences of sin. Well, we ought to hate it. But Psalm 97, verse 10, ye that love the Lord, hate sin. Isn't that right? Not minimize it, not excuse it, not make excuses, but hate it. And want to be rid of it and beware of it and the temptations of Satan to sin. Beware of it. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask now as we think about the consequences of sin, we think about the fall of Adam and Eve and the effects of it, the very negative effects, not only with them, but on their posterity. I don't know how many generations it's been, but generation after generation after generation, we know, has been affected by the fall of Adam and Eve. And 
Nelson, Heavenly Father, we pray that we might be very much aware, be at least reminded, reminded of the consequences of sin, the terrible effects of sin. Um, help us to remember the things that have been said. Um, maybe the similarities between the awful disease of leprosy and, and sin would, would be something we could remember and relate to. And, and our Father, we do ask, though, that, that we would arm ourselves against sin. With your help, with your energy, your power, with your wisdom, help us, to Lord, to be in the Word of God. And we know that there is a cleansing effect as we get into the Word of God. Now you're clean to the Word which I've spoken unto you. We understand that Jesus told his disciples that Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin again.